I can't smell it, but apparently we're having potluck, so uh, plan on staying. There's, there's plenty of food, and it's going to be warm in here. So uh, we'd love to have you stay. We are back into the routine a little bit now, which, I become, which becomes much more comfortable to me. Uh, I feel bad because my wife has to go back to school. Uh, she has enjoyed being off, and uh, I know uh, she doesn't look forward to the early mornings, but... Uh, I do like the routine of things kind of going back into a, into a pace that uh, is somewhat planable. Uh, one of those is for messages, I like getting back into the routine of the miracles and, and, and going back through the series on where we are. And so we're back into that series. We'll probably be there. We, we should be able to finish it up probably end of February, 1st of March, somewhere in there. So This morning, we're going to talk about the miracle of feeding of the 4,000. Now, we've already talked about the miracle of feeding of the 5,000. That happens to be one of the few accounts of the miracles that's in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 4,000 is only in Matthew and Mark. And it begs a question for many people because Bible commentators, as some people, often say that these are both the same miracles. So there are certain Bible commentators that actually believe that the feeding of the 4,000 is really the feeding of the 5,000. They just kind of got some stuff wrong. Uh, but as people who believe the Bible, literally, we don't believe that happens that way. So when you look at them, there are a lot of differences between the miracles. Um, and the feeding of the 5,000 is primarily Jews that are addressed, and it's in a Jewish area. And the feeding of 4,000 is in Decapolis. That's a Gentile area. And the feeding of the 4,000, uh, we start with... Uh, um, a group of people who have been with Jesus for a day. And the feeding of the 4,000, they've been with Jesus for three days. And the feeding of the 5,000, it comes at the end of Jesus teaching them. At the feeding of the 4,000, it doesn't. I mean, the feeding of the 5,000, they sit on grass. And the feeding of the 4,000, they sit on the ground. And the feeding of the 5,000, we have a little boy with five loaves, two fishes. They pick up seven baskets full. And the feeding of the 4,000... We start with seven cakes, a few fish, and they pick up seven, it says baskets, but the little reward is hampers full of food. So we see a lot of differences, and I think the main reason is this. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus at that point in this ministry is primarily speaking to the Jewish people. We talked about last time the miracle right before this is the Syrophoenician woman which is a woman who had great faith. And at that point, Jesus had done something in his ministry he hadn't done. He had now taken the gospel outside of the Jewish world to a Gentile world. And he had taught the disciples that this is a woman, a Gentile woman who had great faith. And now we have the feeding of the 4,000 to a group of Gentiles. Because I think what Jesus is showing is that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it is also for the Gentiles. And so Jesus is kind of opening up his ministry, so to speak, to the Gentile world, and this is part of that. So I think that's why we have the two miracles. So let's walk through it and, and pull some things out. We're going to start uh, in Mark's account. And, and by the way, this is another thing that, that, that leads me to believe that uh, they're, they're two very separate miracles. Mark is the shortest gospel. So Mark doesn't deal with a lot of details. Mark only deals with like the big highlights. Boom, 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 boom. He hits a miracle real quick and gets off of it. 
There is no reason in the world Mark would mention the same miracle twice. These are two very, very separate miracles. And notice what he says. He says, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. This miracle is primarily about their physical needs. This isn't about the spiritual needs. This is primarily focusing on their physical needs if they haven't eaten for three days. And most probably Jesus hadn't either. But notice what it says. It says, if I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So Jesus lays out this idea. He says, guys, he said, I, do you see what I see? He said, these are people that have a need. And I think we ought to do something about it. And notice what the disciples say. The disciples look at him and say, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And you think that's odd? They had watched Jesus feed 5,000. And their response is not, hey, Jesus, remember the 5,000 you fed up there? You can do this again. Their response is, I don't know where we're going to get enough food. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think they did that in a minute, but um, notice what happened. Jesus, how many loaves do you have, Jesus said? Seven, they replied. Um, as, you, as, you, as you look at the story, I mean, there's a whole bunch of unique things, I think, that, that pop out. Here's, here's the first thing that, that pops out to me as I read this passage is, notice what Jesus is trying to do. He asked them, do you see what I see? These people have a need. Have you guys thought about it? Have you guys thought about if we just send them home right now, a lot of them are going to die on the way because they, they, they're, just, they're not even going to make the trip. They're exhausted. They, they, they need something to eat. Have you guys thought about that? Because I have compassion on them. I see something here, and I want to know, do you guys see it? And I think that has tremendous implications for you and I today because I, I'm convinced that in the same way God wants to open our eyes a little bit to the needs around us but we get so caught up in our world that we don't see the very things that we need to be seeing because we're not seeing it the way Christ sees it we're not seeing it the way God sees it and I think there's there's tremendous implication for you and I that way this week to try to be able to see some things through God's eyes instead of our own. And um, I, I know that's hard. I know it's hard, but I think that's one of the themes that runs through this passage because <clears throat> notice the disciples' response. What's, what's their response? What do they say? We don't know where we can get it. Now, within the last year, they have watched Jesus feed 5,000. So here's a question. <clears throat> Are the disciples so stupid that they can't remember? See, I don't think so. But I'm going to give you my theory, and that's all it is, is a theory. But here's why I think the disciples didn't come to the conclusion of, hey, what about the 5,000? Let's do that again. You see, when you and I read the Bible stories, you have to remember, these are the points of view from, from the Holy Spirit of 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're dealing with 33 plus years of the ministry of Jesus. So when you and I look at the Bible and we read through the New Testament, we're reading the gospel accounts and we go, oh, this is a great miracle. Wow. Boom. We're excited about that. We look at it as these are like 35 great events in the life of Jesus. But I think if you were a disciple during this time, honestly, this is what you have seen every day for three years. I mean, they watched Jesus do stuff every single day. They were bombarded with Jesus doing neat, cool, unusual, supernatural things every day. I mean, casting out demons, no big deal. Healing the sick, no big deal. Feeding 5,000, just another day with Jesus. In their world, they were so wrapped up in seeing God work so much that when Jesus comes to them with a problem and says, do you see what I see? They just think, normal. Well, we don't have enough food. And we look at it and we go, I don't understand how the disciples can do that. Let me make the jump now to 2015. I think you and I are so blessed in seeing the hand of God every single day that we don't even think twice about looking to God first. Because we are so accustomed to the blessings of God. We just Our mind just doesn't go there. We're like the disciples. We go back to just the normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill thinking. Let me give you an example. In most countries... A cold or the flu is a death sentence. You and I come down with a cold or a flu. What do we do? We go to the store. We look at all of the over-the-counter medicine. We buy it all. We go home and we take it. And then we, if that doesn't work, then we go to a doctor. And then... When the doctor says, well, you know, this is a nasty little bug, I'm going to have to give you some penicillin, our first question is, can you give me the fast stuff? And we, uh, here's a question. At any point in that process of a cold, have you prayed about it? Have you looked at the God part of the solution? No, no, see, because in our world, we are so accustomed to, we're in a country where we've got, Healthcare, and we've got medicine, and we've got transportation, and we've got all of these things that are incredible blessings. And we don't even think of them as, as something special or a blessing. I mean, you know, do you understand what they're going to do to Lael this week? We won't get into all the graphics, but do you understand? They're going to take a complicated joint like a hip and go, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put this little plate in. It's going to build around it, and we're going to shove this little ball in. And, and, and I guess they don't even use screws on the leg part of it now. He said they hot glue it. Um, sets in seven minutes, you can start walking on it. Uh, put that thing in there, pop it all in it. And we're looking at it like it's a two-hour surgery. And we don't think of what an incredible blessing that is 
to be able to be in a country where you can do stuff like that. It's just another procedure. And I think we are so overwhelmed with the blessing. We were talking about this in Sunday school. People actually, if you were to talk to the average person in here, most people in here would say, I would like a better job. I would like more pay with my job. Have you ever thought about how crazy that must sound to God? You see, that's a first, I, I heard this this week, this, a new term that I like. That's a first world problem. You see, in most of the world, they're happy to have any job. They don't want a better job or a better paying job. They just want a job. They're happy to be able to have something or to have a job where they're paid on a regular basis. I mean, do we even understand how uncommon that is in the world? To know that every week you're going to get a check? And like I say, some of you were uh, like me. You worked in places where you weren't sure if you were going to get paid. Um, our, our first job was in a ministry. You got paid once a month at the end of the month. And at the end of the first month, they came to us and said, we don't have enough money to pay you. It's like, well, we worked all week, all a month. And they were like, yeah, but the money's just not there. <clears throat> and we spent a year doing that, going in saying, look, we've got to at least pay this bill. Can we at least have this much this week? Um, and so, you know, to have a constant check is an incredible blessing. And, and like I say, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to beat you up for what we have, but I am trying to beat you up for complaining that we don't have enough. Does that make sense? Because we have a lot. And I think that's the deal with the disciples. I think the reason the disciples didn't go, hey, Jesus, you know what? You fed 5,000, what's for? Is because the disciples were so used to seeing the hand of God do stuff that it was just commonplace. So when Jesus says, hey, you know, how are we going to take care of this? Do you guys see what I see? And they're going, yeah, we don't. Uh, all we see are obstacles. All we see are problems. We can't do it. There's no place close to buy bread. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't see the obstacles. What does, he, what does he focus on? He focuses on what the resources are. He said, okay, guys, I understand there's not a store around, so tell me what we got. Let's start with what we've got. And what, is, what do the disciples say? They go, look, we got seven, we got, we got, we got seven cakes here. Um, the idea of bread is actually cakes, a little different. But it, it's the idea of we got seven cakes here of bread. That's what we got. And Jesus says, just like Gene talked about, I'll take what you've got if you'll give it to me. And I'll use it. And notice what happens. They go on with the story. And he says, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke it and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to them. So we get the idea here, actually, Jesus gives thanks twice, which is kind of unique. But he gives thanks for the bread, and then he gives thanks for the fishes. And it says, the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 men were present, and having them sent away, he got in a boat and his disciples and went to the region of Dalmatia. Jesus simply says, okay, guys, tell me what you've got. I'll take what you've got, and I'll, 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 I'll make it work. 
and I'll use it. And we'll take care of the needs of the people with what you've got. And he does. And we actually get some, some commentators believe there's actually this idea of the bread keeps multiplying as Jesus keeps breaking it. And it's actually, a, some believe, a picture of communion um, where we, we celebrate um, God's unlimited resources to us. So a couple of takeaways from us, a couple of things, I guess, to, to think about this week, a couple of ways to apply it. Here's the first one. This week, I want to challenge you to try to see the world as God sees it. Try to see that obstacle as an opportunity. Try to see that person who annoys you at work as a possible person to minister to. Try to see that situation that is overwhelming you right now as God sees it. What's, what, what's God? How can God be honored and glorified in the, in the circumstance and the situation? Um, believe me, I understand how difficult that is. You know, we spent, I've spent the last three weeks in a hospital listening to doctors and everything else and getting bad news, good news, bad news, good news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Um, and then when they walk out trying to find some hope, encouragement, good, what's God doing in those situations? I get how hard it is. But I also get that there are opportunities there every time a doctor walks in. And as crazy as this sounds, um, I think Mike Segerman could probably attest to that, but doctors are a unique brand to try to get, get past the professional thing to a personal thing. And we actually now, we have three key doctors that we, we are working with, with Doug. And two out of the three now come into the room, sit down, and one of them actually was watching TV with us while we were talking. Because we're trying to build a relationship past that doctor thing. Because I'm looking at it as an opportunity that to minister to them as well. Because, you know, they're having to deliver some pretty tough news. And they do that all day long. And they see every kind of reaction there is. And it's an opportunity for us to be able to kind of bring Christ into the picture in some of those scenarios. And I just want to challenge you because whatever situation you're up against, try to see it through God's eyes as, as the opportunity that you have in front of it. The second thing is try to focus on the resources, not the obstacles. Um, so many times we look at why it can't be done or, or those kinds of things and we miss the opportunity to try to try to see what God's doing, to try to... I come back to that idea of, of, of seeing things the way God sees it. I don't know. Um, Jimmy, for his birthday this year, wanted to go see the movie Unbroken. And so we went. Um, I will say this. It is an intensely emotional movie. Uh, it, is a, it is a gut-wrenching kind of movie. It's not a feel-good movie. Okay? And it's fairly intense. It's about um, Louis... Uh, um, Yes, Zampernelli. Okay, and have you read the book? Okay, I got a buddy who's reading the book. Um, but um, it, it's his story. Basically, this is a guy who started out. Um, actually, at five years old, he was smoking. Okay, he took up smoking at five. 
Yeah, he took up smoking at five. He was in and out of trouble with the law, da, 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 went in the military, or actually ended up in the Olympics as a runner, ran for the United States in the Olympics, then ended up in the military. Uh, his plane was shot down. He spent 45 days at sea. Uh, and then they were rescued um, by the Japanese. And they go through all of the things that he experienced at the camp. And that's where it's, it's very intense as far as a movie goes. And uh, many of the people that at the camp were later prosecuted uh, for war crimes. And uh, here's what happened. And, and you're watching this movie and, 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 and reading the book, whatever you're doing. And I found myself developing this hatred for the leaders and what they were doing to him. Um, to the point that I'm thinking, now's your chance, kill him. You know, get rid of him. But the whole movie's unbroken. It's the idea of the fact that he would not break, and he didn't. War ends. Uh, his story basically turns out to be, and this isn't, none of this is in the movie. They allude to it with some credits at the end. Huh? Oh, no, I've got to tell you the end. The end's the most amazing part. Okay, go ahead. You're going to miss it. Here's what happens. Uh, he gets involved in drinking. Um, his wife goes to a Billy Graham crusade meeting and becomes a Christian. She begs him to go. He goes, and he's reminded of a prayer that he prayed when he was in the raft, which said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. He actually ends up being a motivational speaker associated with the Billy Graham group, teaching on forgiveness and ultimately goes back to the camp or the jail that now holds the war criminals that actually were beating him and abusing him and talks to them about forgiveness and lets them know that he has forgiven them. Uh, he ultimately ends up running <coughs> in the Olympics um, that were in Japan carrying the torch um, for the U.S., and uh, carrying it in, 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 the, in the route. And then he died last year just before the film got completed um, with it. But I walked away from that and I thought, um, and again, the movie doesn't talk about all that. I read a lot of that later. But I walked away from that thinking, I'm a Christian and I know all about forgiveness, but I don't know if I know it at that level. I don't know that I could forgive at that level. I would like to think I could, but I don't know. But the one thing I have to say is here's a guy who learned to see it the way God sees it. I need to learn to look at the people who abused him through God's eyes and love them instead of hating them. And I thought, how applicable in our lives that we try to see things the way that, that God sees them, that we try to look at, our obstacles as opportunities. And then we focus on those. And, and, and it summed up for me the idea that this guy was able to do that. He was able to take his obstacles and, and things that would normally, and did for a while, mess him up. But turn it into something that God could use. And I think that's the other thing that, that I look at in, in this lesson is that you allow God to use you. I mean, Jesus said, hey, guys, what do you got? And they go, hey, we got seven baskets here. 
We got seven. We got seven loaves of bread here, um, and hey, we were able to round up a few fish. And God said, "Give it to me, and I'll I'll do something with it." And I would say to you this week, if you simply start your week by saying, "God, here's what I got. Use it if you can," that you will be amazed at what God will do. You will be amazed that obstacles become opportunities. You will be amazed that God can take something so simple as you saying, God, whatever I got is yours, and watch God use it in great ways. And and I want to challenge you because it's so easy for us to get like the disciples. We just become so consumed with so many blessings that we don't even think about what we really have and how blessed we really are. And to be able to bring God into that equation and realize it is all from the hand of God. And um, maybe be a little less stingy this week with what we have and maybe be a little less focused on the fact that uh, my life should be better. Because as you know, when you do the comparison game, go both ends of it. Yes, your life could be better. And yes, it could be a lot worse. Let's pray. Lord, help us this week as we go throughout the week to remind ourselves, Lord, that we need to focus on the resources that we have. Lord, may we see the world as you see it. May you open our eyes to the things that we have been given and the opportunities that we have in front of us. And Lord, may you use us this week. Lord, we're not claiming to be anything great or special or or incredible. We just simply want you to take what we've got and use it for your honor and glory and, and allow us to be a small part of that. So Lord, help us this week to do that. And when it is all said and done, we look back on this week, Lord, we'd be able to see your hand in all that, uh, all that has happened and give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together.